presented by BlackRock. Good morning, Playbookers. I'm Raghun Manavalan. It's Wednesday. Today's show, the fallout from Georgia, plus what's next for Kevin McCarthy. It's your Politico Playbook Daily Briefing. Over the past 30 months, Raphael Warnock has won a Senate primary, got the most votes in two general elections, and won two runoffs. And on Tuesday night, he finally won a full six-year term in the United States Senate. A lot has been said about how flawed a candidate that Warnock's opponent, Herschel Walker, was. And so much of the conversation and coverage of Georgia's election centered on what it would mean for the power of a current and a former president. But Warnock's 3.1 Tuesday underscored his own talents and cemented the 53-year-old pastor as one of the nation's most compelling and effective Democratic politicians. His five-election streak in a changing but still conservative state should be recognized as an amazing political feat. Warnock has managed to combine a compelling biography, going from Savannah's housing projects to Martin Luther King Jr.'s pulpit with disciplined messaging, relentless organizing, and a stunning capacity for small-dollar fundraising. He's cobbled together a Biden-esque coalition ranging from hyped-up Democrats to moderate Republicans and independents. Warnock heads back to Capitol Hill with his political stock at an all-time high. While Georgia's runoff system is uniquely exhausting and historically suspect, it is redounded to Warnock's benefit. Saturation coverage of two consecutive runoffs have made him one of the most recognizable United States senators in the country. Hey, it's Playbook editor Mike DeBonis. I'm here with Playbook author Rachel Bay. We've just wrapped our daily team meeting, and here's what we're buzzing about. Rachel, next year, the two top Republican leaders are going to be Kevin McCarthy, who seems very likely to be Speaker of the House, and Mitch McConnell, the longtime Senate Republican leader. What are we learning about their relationship in the, these this past couple of days? Well, look, McCarthy and McConnell, they've been working together for a while. Obviously, uh, both seen the, the most senior Republicans in their respective chambers um, have been sort of on the same side when it comes to um, fighting the Democrats who have been in power for the past two years and been controlling all of Washington. But now that Republicans... Uh, have just flipped the House and McCarthy could be leader. I feel like we're starting to get this window into how this relationship is going to change and change potentially drastically. We talked yesterday about how McCarthy went on Fox News and uh, basically put McConnell on notice on this omnibus, this big spending package, telling him he shouldn't be negotiating with Democrats at the end of the year, that they should wait until Republicans take the House uh, and try to get a better shake uh, on what the spending priorities are. And the fact that he was sort of willing to throw McConnell under the bus like that when Privately, a lot of House Republicans want this to pass because they don't want to deal with it next year. It was quite extraordinary. So I kind of wonder if from now on, given his slim majority in the House, um, we could see McCarthy sort of scapegoat McConnell and sort of hope that he handles business over there in the Senate Mm -hmm. in a way that he doesn't have to in the House. So I think this notion of... McCarthy making McConnell sort of his scapegoat and hoping that he does the hard work for him is interesting because we could see that happen with the debt ceiling. Um, Obviously, they're going to need Republicans in the Senate to agree to lift the debt ceiling next year, and that's going to be one of the most contentious votes we're going to see in a lot of brinksmanship on that. McCarthy has said that in order to raise a debt ceiling, Republicans in the House are going to need mandatory spending, spending cuts across the board, pretty much. But we could see, you know, if moderate Republicans join with 
Democrats and do a discharge petition. We could see them clear that in the House, but then McConnell is still going to have to do, you know, the potentially politically unpopular thing with his party, which is vote to raise the debt ceiling. So it's going to be interesting to watch that relationship and how two leaders of the same party who typically, you know, would be aligning their strategies together and very much in sync are going to be butting heads very much next year. Um, so that'll be one thing to watch. Right. At the same time, though, there's there's sort of like in the same boat uh, on a lot of things um, just regarding the Republican Party at large. And we, we saw this sort of very striking moment on Tuesday at the awarding of the Congressional Gold Medal to the first responders on January 6th. And there was this viral moment where some family members of a fallen Capitol police officer sort of went down this line and did not would not shake the hands of McConnell or McCarthy. What did what did you sort of take away from that moment? McConnell and McCarthy have treated January 6th in the aftermath in wildly different ways. But, you know, th- this this moment sort of put them together. And I'm just curious what you took from that. Yeah, it's definitely interesting that they lumped the two um, together, given that, you know, McConnell has very much made a a break from Trump and that he hasn't spoken to him um, since, you know, before January 6th of that year. He hasn't talked to him since then. He hasn't gone to Mar-a-Lago the way that McCarthy has in trying to, you know, continue to pay homage to the former president. But clearly, you know, these these family members uh, of both uh, Officer Sicknick, who, who passed the day after January 6th, and then also these officers who have you know, probably seen a lot of people reach out to their families and harass them online, Uh, you know, people who potentially supported what happened on January 6th. They're angry at Republicans writ large for not supporting them more and for not um, basically being out there and defending uh, what they did that day uh, more forcefully. And so clearly they're just, this anger is not just limited to McCarthy, it's also McConnell on this. Rachel, on Tuesday, you wrote the top of Playbook, and you, one of the questions you ask is, how would Mitch McConnell handle this latest piece of Trump news involving uh, his call to, quote, terminate the Constitution? Well, we we saw today, and it was kind of classic Mitch McConnell. He basically criticized Trump without saying his name, saying that anybody who seeks the presidency who thinks that the Constitution should somehow be suspended or not followed would have a very hard time being sworn in as president of the United States. Um, what did you take from that? It it sounds like he read playbook. Uh, I don't know. Um, obviously we wrote this morning, as you mentioned, that a lot of these Republicans in the Senate, uh, were willing to criticize Trump over those remarks about suspending the constitution, but they weren't willing to say that he should be disqualified from office. It looks like McConnell went toed or, 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 you know, walked right up to that line without crossing it. I guess you could say he, uh, said that, you know, a future president should not be calling for the Constitution to disappear, obviously. So, um, but again, not naming Trump. So just doing the bare minimum. Classic Mitch McConnell, in other words. Yes, classic Mitch McConnell. Rachel Bade, thanks for joining us. I'm Mike DeBonis. Thanks for listening. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Like Dane Washington, so instead, a recap of last night's NDAA vote. 
After days of delay, a compromised National Defense Authorization Act was filed in the House Tuesday night, with some notable inclusions and omissions. The top line number is a whopping $857.9 billion. That's higher than Biden's request and what either Armed Services Committee had initially laid out. What's in? Requiring the military to end the COVID vaccination mandate. Biden has opposed this, but hasn't said he'll veto the bill over it. Senator Kirsten Gillibrand's overhaul of sexual assault and other military justice cases, a Chinese semiconductor chip ban for federal contractors. What's out? Senator Joe Manchin's permitting reform package, the Journalism Competition and Preservation Act, the Pregnant Workers Fairness Act, a reprieve to Boeing for a 737 MAX approval deadline, repeal of the Iraq War authorization for use of military force, and marijuana banking reform. Here's what it all means, tons more money for the Pentagon primarily. But the vaccine mandate repeal looks likely to get pushed through despite some Democratic objections, a win for Republicans who've made the issue their chief sticking point in recent days, and for House GOP leader Kevin McCarthy, who had pressed Biden on this personally. All right, for more news on what's breaking in DC right now, subscribe to the Playbook newsletter. That's at politico.com slash playbook. Our music is composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. I'm Raghub Munavalan. Have a good Wednesday. We'll see you first thing tomorrow morning. All across the country, people are working hard for their financial freedom. So BlackRock is hard at work, managing the retirement plan assets of over 35 million Americans. From the plains to the coasts, BlackRock helps Americans invest for their future and helps communities thrive. BlackRock, invested in the future of Americans. Investing involves risks, including possible loss of principal, as of December 31st, 2021. Visit blackrock.com slash invested.